If you have your Bibles today, you can open up with me the book of Luke. We're looking at chapter 13 together, verses 10 through 17. It's a very interesting passage of Scripture. It's probably one that uh, I have never preached on before. I can't remember ever preaching over this passage. And there's probably a reason for that. It's a passage that's a little bit more difficult to preach in some respects. Uh, and so uh, not that you shy away from all of the difficult passages, but uh, it's not one you're going to just turn to for your quiet time, not one that you may readily go to for a sermon, uh, because it's a story of a, a woman who was stricken with a physical malady, a physical handicap, stricken with it by a demon. Now, this may be news to some of you. It may shock some of you. It may be something you're going to sit and scratch your head about, something you might not have heard before. But there really sometimes is at the root cause of sickness, disease, and infirmary of many different kinds there really is oftentimes, sometimes, oftentimes, I don't know how often, there really is at the root cause an unclean spirit, a demon. Demons attack all of us. And they sometimes attack us physically. Scripture is very clear in this point. I'm going to read to you from a different version of what we had earlier, just to kind of to give you another translation of it from the Greek. You know the Bible is written in Greek, right? Some people say, well, you only read the, Bible's, the only Bible is the King James Bible, right? Some of you like the King James, and that's good. That's your preference, and that's great. But it really was written in Greek. Now, I'm not a guru in Greek. Now, I've got a pastor friend of mine. He actually reads from the Greek text. Chris Osborne reads from the Greek text. Greek. Do you believe that, Nathan? He'll just sit and preach from the Greek text. I don't have people that do that. I admire them. They're brilliant people. But, uh, but this is, is a little more contemporary English. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. Can't get any more clear than that. And that's a good translation of the Greek. This woman had been crippled by an evil spirit. So there are times when folks are crippled or they face some other kind of physical disease, sickness or defect or handicap. There are times when it is caused by demons. And it is amazing at how quickly Christians go to extremes on this point. On the one hand, you have folks who find a devil under every rock, right? You've known those people. They blame the devil for every bad thing that happens in the world. They think there's an unclean spirit that is responsible for everything that goes wrong in their life. And they walk around just all the time considering and thinking about how they need to cast out that next demon or bind that next demon in their life. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have folks who believe that Satan and the demons and unclean spirits are in no way involved in anything that goes wrong in our life. In fact, there are some folks that just simply seem to believe that Satan has no activity outside of the gates of hell or has never done anything on earth to humankind since the time of Jesus. Uh, so you've got these extremes that so often we find Christians, and the reality is, is somewhere in the middle. Uh, there are sicknesses and there are diseases that have nothing to do with the demonic, right? We know that. We know that. Why? How? Because we live in a sin-sick world. We live in a world that is under a curse. We live in, cre in a creation that is cursed because of sin. It is broken. It is diseased. It is sick. And there are going to be times that we face things in life physically that are just a natural byproduct of that. Our bodies are breaking down. Some of you are more aware of that this morning than you were yesterday, right? 
I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a banker here in town. He was talking to, to one of his buddies. He's lamenting the fact of just how different his body was at age 40. And this fellow was in his mid-60s, and he just looked at him, shook his head, and said, Son, you have no idea. You have no idea. And some of you would look at a guy who's in his mid-60s and say, Son, you have no idea. You have no idea, right? Uh, because it happens that we live in this sin-cursed world that all of the creation, including our bodies, are living under the consequences of that. And, and we're breaking down. We're aging. We're changing. And someday we're going to pass away from this life and into eternity, right? What a glorious day that's going to be when we get to see Jesus face to face with our eyes, right? And what a glorious day when we receive our new bodies. And what a glorious day when the new heaven and new earth are, 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 are come down and we're a part of that. Because we no longer have to live under this curse of sin and this sin-sick creation. But in the midst of this, we also need to understand that sometimes it is not a natural thing. And a natural byproduct of this sin-sick creation. Sometimes there are diseases and there are sicknesses that are the result of a demonic attack. And that's what happened to this woman. And we know in this passage of Scripture, because of how Jesus references her, that it was not because of her sin that she was faced with this infirmary, this, this handicap. It's really what Scripture says here is that she was bent over in two. This woman was walking around about like that with her head to the ground all of the time. That was how she was infirmed. That was how she was affected by this demon. She was just bent over in two. What the original language indicates there. It was not as a result of her sin. Jesus calls her a daughter of Abraham. This is a term of endearment, yes, but it also indicated several things. It was a, a title of respect. It was something that would be used of someone who was righteous, someone that was living a righteous kind of life, someone that was living faithful to their faith. So Jesus is saying, here is a respected woman, faithful to the faith, faithful to her God, living a righteous life, who is living a life of handicap and suffering because of a demon in her life that has come upon her. Sometimes demons come through open doors to them. Sometimes demons try to impose themselves upon people. They have no rights. They have no rights to do this. They just do it. So, we look at this passage of Scripture, we see this, we see very clearly that we're in a spiritual war, aren't we? And sometimes those on the other side of the spiritual war attack us. And we have to face facts, guys. We cannot be neutral in this war. We cannot pretend that it doesn't exist. And we need to be careful. And we need to pray. And when we're facing some sickness, when we're facing some disease, when we're facing something ourselves, or when someone around us is facing something of a sickness or disease or a malady or a handicap or, or any kind of, of infirmary of any kind, we need to be careful that we do not just quickly dismiss the idea that this could be of demonic origin. Now, we need to be careful that we don't just run to that too, right? We need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if we feel in any way convicted that this might be unnatural in origin, then we need to immediately, in Jesus' name, bind whatever that demon is and cast it out in Jesus' name. He said, man, this guy preaches a lot of weird stuff. I've lived in a long time. I've been to this church a long time. I've never heard people say these kinds of things. You know what? I didn't hear a lot of preaching like this either growing up. It's a shame. It's unfortunate. 
Because if we preach through the Gospels, we see again and again and again, Jesus is confronted by demonic entities. He is confronted by demons and unclean spirits. He deals with them all the time. We see the disciples are confronted by demons all the time. And listen, they may not be overtly attacking us. It may not be as obvious to us all the time that they are attacking us, but they are attacking. And we need to be aware of this fact, and we need to know what to do in that situation. And if you feel convicted after praying that in some way this may be something of an unnatural nature, even if you're not sure of it, it's okay to say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name now, in Jesus' name, if there are any demons attached to this person and to this sickness or this disease, in Jesus' name I take authority over you, in Jesus' name I bind you, in Jesus' name I command you to leave and go back to where you came from and not return. It's okay to say that. Now, how do I know it's okay to say that? Well, in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Do you think that he's going to give them an authority to do such and not give the same to you as a follower of him when you yourself are in the same spiritual war that they found themselves? See, we are followers of Christ, right? And he has won the war. And these demons, they are strong and they are powerful and they are evil, but they are not stronger than our Christ. And they are not more powerful than the Spirit of God at work within us. And if we will believe and entrust ourselves to the authority given us in Christ, we will bind them in Jesus' name and command them to go, and they will leave. And they will have no power over us. So we need to be careful that we do not immediately run to the idea that there is a demon under every rock or a demon behind every disease. But we also need to be careful that we not dismiss the idea that that could happen, that it could happen in our lives. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. So, so we see that here, that this happened in this woman's life. We know we're in this spiritual war. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12 says the same thing. I mean, we are in the middle of a spiritual fight here. Ephesians, Paul writes, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Put on your feet. I always like that. May your feet be shod. Remember the, the, the King James Version? May your feet be shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You know what that is? That means the Roman soldiers would put sandals on their feet and they wore them. They were, they were, they were sandals that, that allowed them to move quickly to go wherever they were commanded to go. As Paul's saying here, you put those sandals on, you be ready wherever God's going to send you next because you're in a war. And you have that armor on. And you have that shield of faith in your hand to block the fiery darts of the enemy. And you put that sword in your hand, which is the spirit of the living God, the word of the living God, and you use it. See, what is true? This scripture is true. This is God's word breathed to us and written onto the page for our own benefit that we may stand firm against the schemes of the enemy and we may stand strong in the Lord and fight. That's what God's called us to. So we look at this passage and we see this first. Now there are three main ideas in this passage we're going to look at today. They're not interwoven together as, as intricately and tightly as, as oftentimes are in in sermons that I'll bring you to. But we see this first point that we're in a spiritual war. Sometimes illnesses and diseases and maladies of different kinds physically are caused by demons. When that happens, we in Jesus' name bind those and cast them out in Jesus' name. And we keep on trucking. And Jesus did that here. He walked into the synagogue 
And as was often the case, he found the one in the room who was most in need, and he went to her. And he saw this poor little old lady for years had been stooped over looking at her feet because this demon had a hold of her. And he dealt with the demon, and she was healed. And she straightened right back up. And God laid his hands, Jesus laid his hands on her and strengthened her body. Imagine what your muscles must have felt like, her back must have felt like, just how much pain and misery she must have. He just laid his hands on her, that demon left, and he just restored her body completely, and she just stood right up. And she glorified God. And wouldn't you? Wouldn't you give glory to God in that moment? And what a fantastic, wonderful moment this must have been to see this. But he did it on a Sabbath. Isn't that awful? He did it on a Sabbath. And you know what? This synagogue ruler, there were... In an area, when you had a synagogue, you had ten fellows that came together who provided the leadership for a synagogue. You had one main guy that was a leader. And this main fellow, he saw that Jesus had healed on a Sabbath. And this is just an awful thing because it ought not be that a person would heal on the Sabbath. His word to Jesus was is that, not to Jesus, but the people around him, I might add, is that this ought not be, you ought not heal on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is something which is... is we find in, in the Ten Commandments that we are to honor the Sabbath. And, and it is a day that is set apart that commemorates the, the creation and the completion of creation. It is a sanctified day, sacred day, set apart for worship and contemplation upon God. It was a day dedicated to the Lord, a special day of dedication to the Lord. Now, I often think about this and say, you know, we say we live by, by grace and under grace and not law, but we still believe it is wrong to kill, steal, and commit adultery, right? Those are in the Ten Commandments too, along with honor the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, some might say, well, we don't uh, pay attention to the Sabbath. That was sundown Friday to the Saturday. That's what the Jews celebrated. But, but we, uh, as believers, we celebrate the resurrection on the first day of week on Sunday. Uh, if we still believe in the other Ten Commandments, maybe we ought to think about that one too, right? That it should be a special day set apart. I oftentimes find, find it interesting how folks can find almost anything to do on on the Sabbath, on, on, on Sunday. And, and if they can't find something else to do, then they go to church. I mean, you find a lot of folks like that. Or find folks who will just say, well, you know, if something comes up I really want to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do it, on, even if it is on Sunday. And one of the big, big things right now that you see, in one of, and I talk to preachers all the time about this, is say that the greatest competitor to Jesus Christ in our culture today is youth sports because of all the tournaments on Sundays and all the families who miss worship on Sundays because of them. Keep the Sabbath holy. There's something to that. But this ruler wasn't really upset over the fact that this happened on Sabbath. He was really someone who just hated Christ and he was trying to make trouble for him. We're going to get to that in a minute. Jesus is not saying here that we, we know honor the Sabbath. But what he's saying is let's talk about oughtness. What ought to be on the Sabbath. And he went to this idea that, that they had there to, to untie their animals and take their animals to a drink of water. Because that's something you ought to do on the Sabbath for the sake of the animal, right? He said, now, if you're going to do that, and that is something you ought to do, how much more so should you do, or how much more so should be done for this poor woman who'd been stooped over for all of these years? Isn't it something that ought to be done, that she should be set free from this demon which has afflicted her for all these many years, even if that is to be on the Sabbath? You know, this idea of oughtness is something that we need to stop and pay attention to for just a minute here. You know, the word ought means that which should be done. What ought to be? 
Well, it shouldn't be a matter of opinion, right? There should be black and white. There should be an objective answer to this question, what ought to be. Now, who gives us the answer to that? Is it you? Is it me? Is it your husband? Is it your wife? It should be God, right? God ought to ultimately give us the answer. He should be the one to give us the answer of what the word ought means in the first place, right? What should be that which God says should be? That is oughtness. You with me? You see, Jesus starts out with this story about how demons can afflict people physically and he heals this one, but he does it on a Sabbath, a day that is important, something that is spoken of in the Ten Commandments, something that should be important to us as believers. But he says, let's talk about what ought to happen even on the Sabbath. And what ought to be is that which the Father says should be, not what your opinion is, even if you're the leader of the synagogue. I heard of a church one time that almost went to war over the fact that the pastor changed when the offering was to be taken in the worship service. And some folks said that ought not be. That ought not be. Right? Now, now we may chuckle at that. We may laugh at that. But there are some folks that they think changing the time of the offering in the service, that's like changing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just shy of that, brother, when you change when the offering should be taken. That ought not be. We need to be real careful in using that word, shouldn't we? When we say something ought to be, we need to make sure that it's something that God has said and not just our opinion of what should be. And what Jesus says here, he says, what ought to be, what ought to be, what ought to be is that this woman should be set free. What ought to be is even on the Sabbath, this woman should be set free from the enemy's clutches and power which she has been under for all these many years that's what should be and your opinion of what should be even on a holy day the sabbath doesn't matter and doesn't amount to as they say a hill of beans right see what we think even what we think about church we need to make sure that it is christ's opinion and not our own what ought to be what ought to happen here What should be that which God says should be? So Jesus heals. He heals on the Sabbath, something that ought to happen, even though this man thinks it should not happen. And in the midst of this brouhaha and battle that emerges here between this man and Jesus, this man, you'll notice, never directly addresses Jesus. He addresses the crowd. Isn't that funny? So boy was a coward is what he was. He was scared. I'd be scared to confront Jesus myself. I'm going to admit to that, all right? But this fellow had decided he knew what needed to be and what should be. And so he was going after Jesus. But he wasn't going after Jesus directly. He was going around about to the people who were listening to Jesus. And Jesus addresses him directly and says, you hypocrite. And he said that because of two things. Number one is that... This man would treat an animal better than he would this woman. And that's hypocrisy. He says he cares about people, loves God, and loves God's children. But he would treat an animal better than he would this woman. And the second thing is, this man was not really upset over some failed observance in his mind of ceremonial law on the Sabbath. He just hated Jesus and had rejected Jesus as Messiah. And he was doing everything that he could to make trouble for Jesus. That's what he was doing. And so Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. You say what ought to be, what should be. You have no idea what should be. 
You're spouting off your opinions, which have nothing to do with God. Have nothing to do with actually what should be. And what you say you're angry at has nothing to do with what you're really angry about. Because you're not angry over the brooch of some ceremonial law. You're angry at me and you hate me. And you know, this is a third point of what really this passage of Scripture teaches us in this little story. Oftentimes, people are going to come for you and they're going to come for for us. They're going to come for pastors, maybe sometimes in particular, or God's church in particular, because they are angry at God, not because they're angry at me and not because they're angry at you and not because they're really angry with his church. This fellow never directly addresses Jesus. He was angry at Jesus. He hated Jesus. And he goes after those who were listening to Jesus. Did you catch that in the story when we read it earlier? He just goes after those who would listen to Jesus. And you know, I think that's something that we need to be mindful of. We're in a great spiritual war. And sometimes those demons will attack us even physically. And in Jesus' name, we bind them, we cast them out, we deal with them. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that spiritual war... There are going to be folks that come after us with foolish ideas which come from themselves, trying to make trouble for us. And then there are going to be those who are going to come at us because they're angry at God and they hate God. And they're going to come for us and try to make trouble for us as well, motivated by that kind of vitriol. Do you see what's happening here in this story? Let me tell you something. We live in an interesting time, in an interesting world. No more interesting than any other time, though. Every generation and every people have their own problems, their own difficulties, their own idiosyncrasies to deal with, their own intricacies to deal with in their culture. People that lived in the year 1815 thought that life was very complicated. Today we would say it was not complicated, right? But to them, they, it was a very complicated thing. Complicated maybe for very different reasons than what we might see our lives complicated by. I mean, our life is complicated by social media and uh, 24-7 news and all kinds of other things going on around us, right? Uh, our life is complicated by this, this World Wide Web maybe and all of the different things that we have to make sense of and try to balance and bring into our life and how rushed and hurried we are. Back then, maybe they were complicated and the life became complicated because you were looking for clean water and food to eat. I don't know. Everyone thinks their life is complicated, though. No one in 1815 was just walking down to the grocery store and finding anything and everything they wanted to eat. But in the midst of this complicated thing and what we think of complication, we need to understand that things boil down to something very, very simple. There is a great spiritual, eternal spiritual battle going on. Now, it's already been decided because Jesus, he has already won. Through his cross, he won and he wins and he continues to win. And in fact, even before the cross, for our sake, he had won for those who were prior to the cross, because scriptures very clearly teach us that those folks who were righteous before the cross, Christ did not or God did not give them judgment because of the coming cross. He knew the coming of the cross. Now, that's another sermon. Don't let me chase rabbits this morning. But but the cross affected everyone. Prior to the cross and the time of the cross and after the cross. The cross is the victory. Christ has won the battle. But it's a very simple thing. On the one side you have the forces of darkness. This is not a story of Star Wars, okay? 
This is not the, the good and bad, all right, in the sense of, uh, that you might see in a movie. This is just reality right here. On the one side, you have spiritual forces of darkness, as I quoted Paul just moments ago in Ephesians 6. He says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against spiritual forces of darkness at work against us. So on the one side, you have that. On the other side, you have God. These folks over here are not his equal. They are really not even his competitor. They are not even his nemesis because they can't hold that title because they're so far removed from who he is. He's so much bigger, stronger, and powerful than them. They are an insignificant entity. But in our life here in the middle, they seem to be big. And they do have power and some effect on us. And what this story teaches us is that no matter what they're doing in our life, no matter what is going on, God is bigger. And if we take the authority he has given us in Jesus' name, the enemy is defeated in our life. And when those human beings who are under the influence of the spiritual powers of darkness come against us, hypocrites as they are, and say what ought to be apart from what God has said would be, when they come against us with their vitriol and anger and hatred at God because they are on the side of darkness as human beings, we need to understand that this is not about us. It's much more simple than that. It's about the battle. It's about the spiritual war. And it's about where we are and where they are. And their anger and their hatred and their fight is really with God and not us. Now where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with this. When those people who are influenced by when those people who are angry with God and influenced by the powers of darkness, when those people who are apart from Christ come after us because of Christ, we first tell them the truth in love, with compassion, and we love them. Just as Christ said, love your enemy. What did Jesus do for this man right here in the synagogue? He said, you're a hypocrite. So that doesn't seem like love. Let me tell you something. That is love. It's called tough love. It's called telling someone the truth so that they might leave the darkness for the light. And there needs to be those moments and those times that we say, listen, you're wrong. Now, I don't go to that person in, in, with hate and anger, jump on them and start beating them up with the Bible. I can just go to them and say, listen, you're wrong because you are separated from God. You have a problem with God, not with me. And I'm just going to tell you, he loves you. And I'm going to tell you, this is right. And when you're talking about oughtness and what ought to be, your opinion matters not. It's all about what God says is right. See, folks come to us and say, the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged, right? I don't judge anything or anybody. I don't have to. God's already given the judgment, right? I mean, God says it's wrong to steal. I don't have to make that judgment for myself. I don't have to just come of that opinion when someone takes something that's mine. Listen, it's wrong to do it because God has said it's wrong to do it. What ought to be? You ought not steal. You ought not take what belongs to someone else. Don't you judge, brother, lest you be judged. Now, listen, it's God judging. All I'm doing is speaking God's judgment. What ought to be? I'll just tell you what God says ought to be. It's not, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It doesn't matter what God's opinion is. So when these folks come against us, whether it be demon or whether it be of human origin, we just need to understand this is a battle between God and the enemy of their soul. And right now they're separated from God. And right now they're influenced. And you can read Ephesians 2 to understand and know this more deeply. Right now they're influenced by spiritual forces of darkness they are chasing after. 
When you can keep those kinds of things in perspective, it changes the way you treat people and changes your view of the whole wide world, doesn't it? There are demons come against me in Jesus' name. I bind you and command you to leave in Jesus' name. Go back to where you came from. People come against me. They're angry with me. They hate me because of my relationship with God. It's not about me. It's about God, brother. And let me tell you what ought to be. You ought to love the Lord. You ought to give your life to Him because the Lord loves you and He's given His Son for you. This is not about me. This is not about me. What a fun story, isn't it? What an interesting story. So much here. So much richness found in this passage of Scripture. That God gives us doctrine, an understanding of the spiritual battle going on around us and helps us as we confront that as well as we confront those who are on the other side right now. And those people are not our enemy, remember. They're just influenced by the other side. Right now they just have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're not our enemy because our enemy are the spiritual forces of darkness at work in them, not them. You know, someday, I hope to meet this sweet lady in heaven. And I'm sure I will. You see, I just want to come to her and I want to say, let me ask you a question. What was it like that day? What was it like? See, we don't, we don't see anything else here. We don't see anything from her. We don't see her response to the man who was confronting the people. And saying that this should not have happened. Can you imagine that? You're healed and then someone says, well, you shouldn't have been healed. It was wrong. It was sin for you to be healed today. I'm not sure how I would have responded to such a fellow. I doubt I would have felt a great deal of kindness for him in that moment, right? But you don't see this woman responding that way. And I have a feeling, and I don't mean to read too much between the lines, but I have a feeling that this woman just... Rejoice. It says here she glorified God. We know that. She was so wrapped up in God. She was so wrapped up in what he had done for her. So wrapped up in the blessing. So wrapped up in the moment of God's goodness to her. She didn't care what else was going on around her. She was having a happy day. A good day, right? And I just want to talk to her and say, tell me about that day. Tell me about that day. I want to be like her. I want to be so wrapped up in what God's doing in my life and so wrapped up in, in the blessings that he has poured out on me, so wrapped up in his power at work in me that whatever else is going on around me, I can see through those eyes and with that perspective and it not bother me. God is good all the time and all the time God is good and he is. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God has blessed us and this morning, if you're someone here that has yet to experience the blessing of God because you are not certain you have a relationship with Jesus, then this morning we invite you to respond. And for, for you who don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus, responding means that you just come and let us help you to know how you can know Jesus. And it's just a matter of admitting that you're a sinner in any sin. Sin is just any thought, word, or deed that's contrary to God's will for your life. So if, if you look around you, you're going to see sinners. We've all done those things. We've all said those things. We've all thought those things which are contrary to God's will. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned and fallen short of God's purpose for them. So this morning, if, if you're sitting there and you know you're a sinner, you can come to God and say, I admit that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And Jesus 
came to earth and died on the cross to pay for your sins. You can say, I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins, and I give my life to you. And you can enter into a relationship with God. So when we say respond, we're asking you to do that. We're asking you to let us explain to you more fully what I just said. So you really understand what that means, and you might give your life to Christ. But for the Christians in this room today, I just want to speak to you for one second and just say, listen, where are you living in the midst of this spiritual battle? Are you trying to live oblivious to the fact it's going on around you? Is it possible that there are things in your life which are the result of demonic attack? Are you open to the Holy Spirit convicting you of such? And are you willing to do as I spoke a few moments ago? Are you willing to say in Jesus' name I bind and cast out any demons that have attached themselves to my life? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to engage in the spiritual battle that is going on around you? And, and finally, are you willing to live your relationships with other people in light of that spiritual battle? Are you willing to love those whose real problem is with God and not you? I think one of the things that we are really getting wrong right now in our generation of Christians is that we get very angry at people who do not believe like us. And even to the point of hating people who oppose us. So those who are in favor of abortion, for instance, it's almost as if we hate them. It's not them, folks. We should love them. We should tell them what ought to be according to what God has said. Yes, we should pray for them. We should lay hold of the demons who are influencing them and pray against the power at work within them. But we should never hate them. So I'm asking you this morning, where are you in the spiritual battle? Are you engaged in the spiritual battle? How are you looking at? How are you loving? How are you engaging with those who have yet to come to Christ? See, it's okay to say you're wrong. And it's okay to say, guys, you're a hypocrite. It's okay to tell them the truth, but it's not okay to hate them and not love them. Where are you in the spiritual battle this morning? This morning, if you do not know for certain that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, in a moment we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And we invite you to come. We'll take your hand. I will help you to understand. We'll have someone here that can counsel you, help you understand how you can know Jesus. But if you're a believer here this morning who's convicted, I've not been engaged in the spiritual battle going on around me, or I have mistreated or treated poorly those who I know are influenced by powers on the other side. And this morning, I would just encourage you, would you pray? Would you confess? Would you repent? And would you ask God to help you and to give you the grace and give you the love so that you might love those whose real problem is with God and not with us? Let's bow together.